morning. It looks like we're right at our here at our 11 o'clock hour. And welcome back to our uh, class on Colossians. Um, going to take a, a little bit of a detour today. I hope that's okay with you guys, and kind of look at the um, small catechism on something. But yeah, I, I think it ties in nicely. But if it doesn't, well, is, does it hurt us to learn a little bit about the cate- go over a catechism article? So. Um, With that being said, let us begin with an invocation in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, I keep referring to outline. I'm sorry if you don't have it. I'll I'll bring more next week. So, moving right along here. Last week, uh, we covered, so again, we're kind of in the main exposition of Paul's letter here. And we covered um, C3, which is um, the fullness of Christ, if you recall that. And as I said last time, this arguably is kind of the whole center of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And as we discussed, it's number one, Christological, which really is concerned with the person of Christ and who he is. On that, if you recall, uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 9, we talked about, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And, of course, this language, as we discussed, is kind of the strongest uh, statement of Jesus' divine nature. So we talked about Jesus' divinity and what Paul's saying here. We also talked about uh, Paul talking about Jesus then being the head, the rule, and authority of all things. So that was the Christological aspect we kind of looked at. But also we looked at a uh, soterological. I know these are kind of big words, but we know... That, that's concerning salvation. That, so another part that talked, Paul talked about then was salvation and how this is how humans um, have salvation. We spent a little bit of time, quite a bit of time, actually on circumcision and then Paul's use of the term the circumcision of Christ. We talked about what that meant. We saw how much baptismal language Paul w- was using and ba- saying that the baptism really is what's saving us. And this is how we're saved. We looked at other aspects of this baptismal language. Remember when Paul talks about being buried with Christ, but then he also flips it and says we're raised with Christ. We look at those. And then Paul even used kind of another two-side-of-a-coin analysis when Paul talked about the, uh, the Colossians and we, for that matter. Before we are baptized, recall we are dead in our trespasses. We looked at other verses Uh, that Paul uses that language, how we're dead, spiritually dead. But then, Paul, on on the other side, Paul talks about how we are alive then, alive, uh, God has made us alive uh, together with him through Christ. So, um, those were the, that was a soteriological aspect of it. And then we looked at uh, what it means when Paul says that Jesus, Jesus canceled the record of debt in chapter 2 verse 14 and we talked about really that this is atonement and what Jesus did on the cross so um, we, we, we had a good discussion on the atonement 
And then now we've kind of started briefly the next section here, which under this main exposition is then Paul kind of turns the chapter, so to speak, and talks about then because of Christ from both the crystal, uh, from, you know, who he is and then what he has done. Now he says, okay, then what does that mean for our lives today? And that's kind of where we're going. We're going to spend quite a bit, probably the next a couple, two or three weeks on this on, uh, idea. And of course, uh, what Paul's talking about is our sanctified life. So we'll talk a, a lot about that um, in the coming weeks. Um, so again, here in True Freedom, um, he, he's talking about kind of addressing these heretics' restrictions and such and talks about what it means to have freedom in Christ. And then we did start on um, in chapter 2 on verse 16. So we hit one um, verse here, and then we will move on. But a- after I was done with this, I've been contemplating this this week. So if you'll look in your Bibles then, where we, where we left off last week, on um, 2.16. And I did talk about it briefly, but as I walked out of here, I've been thinking about one term in here. So this is where we're going to take a little detour this morning. Okay, so verse um, 16 of chapter 2, Paul writes this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Then we talked about then with this Paul mentioning Sabbath that there was possibly some Jewish elements to this Colossian heresy and we talked about that. But then I started thinking about this term Sabbath. I thought, well, what's Paul, you know, what's Paul saying here? Because as you see on the board and I'm going to be referring to a PowerPoint. So anybody that's looking online, we have uh, put that PowerPoint on the website if you go to the studies and then under Colossians and if you'll click on it uh, you'll see the power the PowerPoint on there now but I want to address this so Paul we, we have this concept of Sabbath then uh, what does this mean for us and us Lutherans because we do take the Ten Commandments seriously and the third commandment as you'll see I have here is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy <coughs> But then wait a minute, Paul is just now saying, you know, don't let, you know, basically what he's saying is don't let these people force force you into all these Sabbath rituals or whatever. So I thought what we would do is let's actually look at what a correct understanding is of the Sabbath and maybe we can see what Paul is really saying here in terms of what possibly these Jewish, uh, Jewish elements that were going on. So if you'll bear with me just for a couple minutes here, uh, I think this is, this is a, I got into this recently on this, this concept of Sabbath and the third commandment. I'm going to talk about it some. Okay, so the, the third commandment does say, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So how are we going to s- distinguish this? And we distinguish from what Paul is saying here. Of course, we can go to our explanation uh, of the third commandment in our catechism, which is just really beautiful. So let's walk through this just a bit to see what's going on with the third commandment on, on the, in this Sabbath day. So um, 
where we turn to in this is uh, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. And again, I'm really taking this out of this small catechism, maybe rearranged it a bit just so it's a, li- a little easier in a PowerPoint presentation. But uh, you can always uh, go back and read uh, the third commandment as well after this. So, in Exodus 20, our Lord gives us um, the Sabbath. And it may be a little small, so I'm going to read it. So Exodus 20, 8 through 11 says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So yes, the Lord commands us, uh, the Lord commanded us to work for six days and then rest on the seventh day. But the concept of rest here is really not the entire idea um, of, of just, rela- just specifically related to work. So Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shavat, which does mean to rest. And Sabbath was observed on the seventh day, which was considered a Saturday in, in, on the Jewish calendar. And then the Sabbath began on Friday evening at sunset until Saturday evening at sunset. Of course, and I'll get into this too in a bit, today we Christians, of course, we do worship on Sunday, but we don't call it the Sabbath. We call it the Lord's Day. And here's why. Um, The Sabbath day, the seventh day. So our catechism does tell us that God set aside the seventh day, a day of rest for his people. But why? Because God wanted his people to worship and ponder, first of all, the power and goodness of God in his work of redemption. And the catechism gets this from Genesis 1, 31 through 2, 3, which says... And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. That might be a typo there. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, okay? Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So you can see here, that's the seventh day. It points us to the power and goodness of God in his work in in creation. So on the seventh day, instead of working, i.e. laboring, God's people were to worship. And that's what what God is seeing here in, in, in the catechism is pointing to. So it's this focusing on the power and goodness of God in his work in creation. But then also there's another reason for the seventh day. And God set aside the seventh day as a day of rest for his people to worship and to ponder this, the graciousness of God's work of redemption. And we get this out of Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 
and 15. Verse 12, observe, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So what, uh, what the Deuteronomy is telling us here is on the seventh day, there's another aspect of it that we, you ponder great, the graciousness of God's work in redemption. So then the Sabbath day really is this. It's a day of re- remembrance. It's two things, God's creation and then God's redemption. So this is the background for what the Sabbath day is and was and is, okay? Now, how do I get to this to where we are today and what Paul is talking about? So bear with me here a bit, okay? So there are three different laws that God did give to Moses. And we categorize them this in these three ways. We have a moral law, we have a civil laws, and then we have ceremonial laws, okay? That's all within in the Old Testament. So there's three distinct categories, and they're really important to see the differences when we look at, at this, the third commandment and what Sabbath is. So just a quick review here. Moral law, and these seen as natural law. It's the law written on man's heart. This comes from Romans 2, 13 through 16. And I'm not going to read that now, but these are divine laws that are binding on all people for all times. Of course, the clearest presentation of the moral law is the Ten Commandments, okay? So that's the moral law. Civil law. Civil law are laws in the scriptures that apply to a specific temporal society. Generally in the Old Testament, these laws were addressed to the nation of Israel. So these really deal with issues of morality at the most basic societal level, any outward behavior. Um, The civil dimension of the law undergirds the purposeful rule of government in, in, in how they curb outward evil and punish lawbreakers, okay? So that's an, the, another aspect. Now here's what I want to focus on when we talk about and where Paul kind of is on a lot of this stuff we're going to see here in Colossians. It's this, ceremonial law. And ceremonial law is portions of the Old Testament law that pertain to worship in the tabernacle or temple or to other religions religious practices of Jews before the coming of the Messiah. So uh, they, the ceremonial law addressed such things as the manner, meaning, and purpose of the sacrifices, the Sabbath during that time, and the temple. Uh, also other examples are circumcision, foods one can eat and cannot eat, cleanliness or uncleanliness, which is purification laws, temple worship and regulations, festival days and all types of sacrifices. Again, ceremonial laws. The important thing is for us in our discussion, especially here, is that the New Testament tells us that these laws are fulfilled, embodied, and even transformed in the person and work of Jesus. 
So the ceremonial law has been fulfilled by Christ and is no longer binding on us today. And this is what Paul's getting at, and we'll talk about more. Um, so in the, the Ten Commandments here, nine commandments are of the moral law. Now this is a little confusing. Of course, all Ten Commandments are the moral law, but there's parts of the Third Commandment that, kinda, that can deal specifically with the ceremonial law of Israel, okay? And let me talk about that briefly. Uh, the third commandment, then, was ceremonial in the sense of this idea of rest and, and everything that was going on in the Old Testament. But in, in that respect, it was ceremonial. So this law does not divinely apply to Christians regarding a resting on a particular day, okay? That's not what we talk about in the third commandment about rest, okay? But that's what the Old Testament was mainly focused on. And then the Jewish practices were um, specific things that man's doing on that day and really is basically nothing but rest. But we're not looking at the third commandment from this ceremonial aspect. So as a result, we today, the church doesn't say that on the seventh day, you have to go home and only lay in your bed and do nothing. No, that's not what we do. But the Sabbath is, is still for us today, but only in, these, in, in this way of looking at it. That although the Sabbath has been misconstrued for centuries, it is still applicable for God's people today, but only if it's observed and understood correctly. So when we saw at the beginning, we, look, we looked at Exodus 20.11, talked about creation and how we're supposed to ponder creation. And then in Deuteronomy, uh, which told us about how God delivered his people, right, reveals that God resting really is not the key to the Sabbath. Both of these scriptural passages reveal that in the Sabbath, God is pointing his people to his word, either in his work of creation or in his work of deliverance. So the Sabbath then is not man-centered. Okay, It's not man-centered. It's about God. The Sabbath is not a focus on man or our resting or what we're doing. It's a, fo a focus on God's work. But the problem is, for centuries, and even during the time when Paul here is writing this letter to Colossians, the Sabbath was incorrectly seen as the day that God rested after he created the Sabbath. Therefore, the Sabbath was incorrectly seen as a day solely of rest. Okay? So, what we say then, and the third commandment is, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Rest does not make us holy. We do not use the third commandment to justify our siestas on Sunday, right? Or, or any time we want to choose. No. Rest is not what the, com the third commandment about what the Sabbath is about. Okay? It's about holy. The focus of the third commandment is the word holy. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does make us holy? 
not resting or taking a, this siesta or not doing good works or not doing all the, these other things that Paul was addressing in Colossus about the Sabbath, about things that you must do and then all these other um, ceremonial things that focus on the work of man. No, as I've talked about in here, we've seen earlier in Colossians, is what makes us holy. And again, it points back kind of the second commandment is the God, God's name. It's Jesus, Jesus saves, okay? So we're looking at the name then in the word. The name of God and the word of God are bound together. And then this is what makes us holy. So when we speak of God's name, we're saying that his name contains the entirety of our Lord's word as given to us in scripture. So we are made holy then from God's word and hearing God's word, among other things, baptism and Lord's Supper, which we've talked about. So then the catechism, then when we say, when we talk about the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? This is what it means for us, the third commandment, and the Sabbath, really. Two aspects. There's a negative and there's a positive, okay? So, we, what does this mean? We should fear and love God. Negatively is this, that we do not despise preaching in his word, okay? But we hold his word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. You see, this is what the Sabbath is about. This is what the Sabbath is about. So when we hear our Lord's word, we are made holy. We're sanctified. And as I've said in here before, sanctified means the work of the Holy Spirit making people holy. And it's in this wide sense, sanctification includes everything God does for our salvation and preservations, including the work of justification and conversion. In the proper sense, sanctification refers to the inward spiritual transformation of a believer that is accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through the means of grace, the word of our Lord, and the sacraments. Holy baptism and the Lord's Supper. So this idea of holy, sanctification. So, when we hear our Lord's word... And when we hear the preaching of our Lord on a particular day of the calendar, then that day becomes holy, a holy day. When we set apart a place for the teaching and preaching of our Lord's word, the church, then that place becomes holy. When we hear our, our Lord's word, even in our homes or, or wherever we are, that place also becomes holy. That day becomes holy. So, um, I'm going to skip over this slide. We've talked about sanctification. Skip over this one too here. So then really what it all boils down to, the Sabbath day, is this. It means hearing our Lord's word. So the Sabbath. What is the significance for the church today? The Sabbath, correctly understood, is the Lord's Day. It is a weekly feast on the first day of the week, Sunday, which this is what we 
we, we practice. Sunday is connected with the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus. This is the day of the gathering of the saints. Sunday is the Lord's day. It is the day where the church gathers to receive his gifts. This is what the Sabbath is. Although God no longer requires us to observe the Sabbath day and other days of the Old Testament, this commandment continues to apply to our Christian life and worship. The Sabbath now points us to Jesus, to Jesus alone, who gives us spiritual rest from the burden of sin. And this is the Sabbath that continues today in our worship. And of course, I've addressed, we talked about liturgical worship in here a few weeks ago. We looked at this in, in the concept of, of worship. Here's an incorrect understanding of worship. It's the congregation offering something up to God. And God is a passive participant? No. Correct is God is the active participant, and the congregation is the passive participant, receiving God's gifts and responding. And this is the idea of the German word Gottesdienst, which translates to English as God's service. God is the subject of the worship. His service, service is for the congregants. Then they serve God in response. We talked about the introduction of the LSB. I won't go through that. And also this concept then of, of Sabbath and what we do. Um, we, all, we have also developed a lectionary. I'm just going to kind of get in this because it kind of points back to what this whole Sabbath understanding is for us. It's worship and hearing God's word. But then we have our congregations. We hear God's word in an orderly manner. Okay? The church has chosen portions of scriptures which are well suited to the weekly and yearly rhythm of the church year. The scripture readings on Sundays are taken from specific passages of the Old Testament, Epistle, and the Gospels, and are gathered together in the lectionary, which is an orderly pattern for regular readings of scripture to be read weekly in the divine service. The repetitive nature of these readings are done so as a teaching tool to teach God's word. God's word is Christ himself. Christ is present with his people in the divine service. Not only is Christ given his own body and blood during the divine service, Christ speaks through his word. As Christ speaks through the word, saving faith is created and sustained. Then we have a church year. In addition to the lectionary, the church year is divided into seasons. There are three seasons. The time of Christmas, which is Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. Two, the time of Easter, pre-Lent, Lent, Holy Week, and Easter. And then three, the time of the church year, the season after Pentecost. The church spends time learning of our Lord's word related to the specific theme issues of the seasons. We are taught on these specific subjects for weeks on end, and these teachings are instilled in God's people year after year. So this is the Sabbath, what it means for us today. Okay, I wanted to point out the difference. that We just don't altogether throw out the Sabbath, but we, through the New Testament church, we have a different understanding of what the Sabbath is as opposed to what Paul is addressing here in verse 16 
And I wanted to kind of give, give that to, to kind of show then what Paul is saying and that Paul's not telling us that we just throw out the third commandment. It's just that we see the third commandment from the way our Lord gives us as opposed to what was going on back here, how these heretics have changed the third commandment in the Sabbath into a good work that must be done is about just purely what we do is it's about us receiving our Lord's gifts through his word and sacraments. We've got a question in the back. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that's the way our family understands it, and most of us, I'm sure everybody here understands that. But if you have a family member, extended family member, whose kids are super involved in sports, it's all on Sunday, Sunday morning, And I almost think, not that I want to go back to the ceremonial law, but I almost think it would be better if there was an edict because it's like it would be to their good. And when we say it's God didn't intend it for that, he intended it for worship and it wasn't a law, then there's a lot of people in these United States who just go, well, well, it's not a... It's not something I have to do, and so they don't do it because they're assaulted on the other side. That's right, but that's, I think that's why, I mean, we look at it in, as the catechism says. So remember it says, we are fear to love God. We're fear to love God so we don't despise preaching his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. So when we fear and love God by taking time to reflect on his word, we do this by treasuring God's word as sacred and devoting ourselves to his word in private devotion and public worship. So this is what God, God tells us to do in the Ten Commandments, and we should follow it. But we should, we should follow it, not in the sense of something that we have to do, but it's something that we do in, 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 in our love of God and to receive his gifts. And I think that's the problem people don't understand. They see worship as kind of a works righteousness where we have to go and offer our something to God but that's not it. We understand truly that we're going to receive God's gifts that he gives us freely. And hopefully that would help people want, you know, want to go to church more when they see it that way. But you're right. I mean, I don't, people don't go. We have to just pray. Yeah. Preaching the word uh, and, and administering, administering the sacraments, that's what the Lord's given our pastors to do. And when they faithfully do that, we just have to rely on the Lord then. Um, for the answers to those questions. So that's why we've got it so good here with, with uh, Pastor Rody that he does such a good job with that, <laughs> right? <laughs> so they, so my understanding then is there's a moral and legal aspects of it. So God understood that in Scripture as well as Paul because then you could have it whatever day. So let's say if you're a doctor, a nurse, you're working in a hospital setting, you can't go on a Sunday, so you, you, your Sabbath would be on Wednesday or Thursday, That's right. correct? Yeah, and we're you're not... fulfilling what the law says. Right. And the church, our church, hasn't chosen the seventh day because it was God mandated it that day. We've chosen it that day, um, like I said, for a number of reasons, because it was a day that, that was the day that Christ um, was raised from the dead. But also it's just for good order, you know? We don't want this kind of, the church, well, when are we going to have service this week, Pastor? Well, let's have it Tuesday night, you know. There's also a part about it's just good order for us, okay? And that's why we do it, good order. 
That's, that's the reason. So it's like every day, Sunday, there's no question, what do we do on Sunday? We go to church for the good order. But good point, yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. Questions on that? No? Okay, well, let me move this then. Get off my PowerPoint uh, excursion. And then get back into our text. Okay. So then as, I, as we've now talked about, we looked at this um, 2.16 last week. Let's look at it now real quick based on the discussion on um, the Sabbath that I just talked about. So therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now the Sabbath is this incorrect view of the Sabbath that Paul's talking about as opposed opposed to what our Lord gives us in the third commandment as I just uh, went over, which our Samal Catechism has done a good job of explaining uh, the Sabbath, okay? So we see here, he's talking about food and drink with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. Again, as I said before, Paul then is pointing out some of these things. It does then seem like there is somewhat of a Jewish element here, what's going on with this reference to Sabbath or festivals. Um, But then also could be be other, you know, non-Jewish elements that were going on here. So, but ultimately, Paul here is instructing his readers not to submit to the false principles that the heretics determined uh, were that they insisted were necessary for the Colossians to become perfect and escape condemnation and therefore obtain soul val- uh, full salvation. So Paul rejects these false requirements because one thing, they don't save. It's not about Christ and our Lord's word. It's about all these other things that man's doing. And then Paul, of course, before, which we've been reading up to this point, has abundantly made it clear throughout this letter before that salvation only occurs through Christ. Okay? So that's why he's looking at this. Yeah, yeah, that's... that's the, The substance that belongs to Christ. He's saying because it is Christ, since he says, I'm... I've, I've completed it. The work is finished on the cross. I said, I have finished. That's what that's referring then, the substance of things belonging to Christ, because he's has it all in him that's bodily. Right. That's exactly right. That, that's that's perfect introduction in here to this 217 then. So then, as Chris just uh, pointed out, which is exactly right. So he looks at 216 and said, you know, here are these other things, but then he switches here. But it's interesting language, okay? So I will address the substance belong to Christ, but he says this kind of weird thing here. These are a shadow of the things to come. What does this mean? So he is referring back to maybe some Old Testament stuff, okay? Ceremonial laws, which we just covered in my... Uh, PowerPoint presentation of these festivals or Sabbaths, he does say these are a shadow of things to come. What's he saying here? As a study note says, Paul taught that Old Testament events, practices, and messages have, though, their full meaning and realization in Christ, because he says, but the substance belonged to Christ. So what Paul's doing here is he understood that historic events, people, and institutions and even messages of the Old Testaments 
while having a proper part of God's plan in their own historical setting were also types of what God would fulfill in sending his son, Jesus. So, for example, and I I think I might have talked about this last time, but since we're in here, let's look one more time. God's rescue of the Israelites from Egypt, okay? This pointed to and was a type of God's coming rescue of the world in Jesus. When Jesus comes, those things that pointed to him find their ultimate fulfillment. Okay, so that's what Paul's saying here about these things are a shadow to come, because a lot of these things that happen in the Old Testament are actually shadows of, of, of Christ and what's going to ultimately happen in Christ. And, and, and that's really what these, these things are pointing to in the Old Testament. And then as, as Chris uh, really noted, this substances belong to Christ. This is really focusing on Christ's in incarnation in his works. And thus, to, to seek God's salvation and ways to worship Him in the, in the Old Testament festivals and dietary reg- regulations, as the Colossians were apparently being enticed to do, was to misuse those portions of the Hebrew Scriptures. Continuing to abide by Old Testament festivals and dietary restrictions and other regulations really prevented people from... Uh, from the gospel, which was pointing to Christ and what he has done for our salvation. And that's what, why Paul uses this language, but the substance belong uh, to Christ, as opposed to what they were doing. They were attempting to justify them, themselves only by these ceremonial laws and the performance of these rituals. And that kind of ties into this idea of the Sabbath that, that I went through, too. Man's work versus no, what this, all this is about is Christ in his work. Exodus is repeating several times in the Old Testament. Okay, the Exodus is repeated several times in the Old Testament, but then you hear Stephen go through the same thing, the Exodus again, through the New Testament, because he's going back... Because you said, hey, when they're doing the exodus, because that's where we get the baptism from, because they're being baptized going through the water of the things. So it's the same thing over and over. They, right. they, they right. were told that that's what's happening. Stephen's telling them that, right. and yeah. they don't believe it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see it. We can have, there's lots of examples of this, right? Old Testament, then it's pointing to Christ and is fulfilled in Christ, yeah. Or other, like baptism, you know, the flood and stuff. So, yeah, again, what Paul is saying is all that stuff kind of is a shadow or foreshadow of what ultimately comes um, when Christ comes in his incarnation and then his death and resurrection. So, that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Okay. Any other questions on that? Okay. So, then we'll move on then to 2.18. Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. I mean, Paul's really coming at him, okay? So first he says, let let no one disqualify you. It's basically try to, to show their ways about you have to do either live an ascetic life or worship angels or follow these diagrams dietary restrictions or whatever. So um, I want to talk about this asceticism here. What the, so the Col- Colossians apparently 
we're calling for people, you know, to live this ascetic life, which basically is, you know, a complete self-denial, any worldly things, an absence from any worldly or sensual pleasures, you know, often in the pursuit of these spiritual goals, you com- asceticism completely w- withdraws from society. And, you know, we see this kind of with, with what the monks did around, you know, during the time of the Reformation, uh, how they had taken a vow of poverty, and they still do that today, I guess, and then lived within the walls of these monasteries. So this is what asceticism is. And Paul's, Paul's calling it out, so you can't let anyone disqualify you if you do not live this ascetic life. And he also ta- says the same thing about the worship of angels. So again, I talked about this before. Apparently, the Colossians, through this Gnostic Gnosticism, were worshiping angels. And Paul says, you know, you can't. This kind of stuff is. This has nothing to do with your salvation. And and if you don't them, don't let them try to disqualify you. Meaning disqualify you into think, disqualify you from your salvation. Or don't let them tell you how to do these things thinking that then if you don't do them you're not going to be saved so that's why uh, Paul is addressing this and then he says this going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind so the study notes good on this Uh, I just you can see it on 218 I like what it says study note says Paul warns believers not to be deceived by those who claim special revelation. If it is not truly centered in Christ, it is not of the Holy Spirit. Rather, it comes from the sinful nature. And we know that. And actually, Pastor just talked about that in the earlier Bible study. You know, we don't, we don't have any of these people that claim they have these special revelations. We know that. We don't believe that today. We we, we only get our revelation of what God reveals to us. And where does God reveal to us? Jesus. And, but that all comes. We know everything about Jesus through his word. The word. Okay? So anybody go else on other detail. Ignore that. The detail is God's word. And this, this is our detail today. Uh, the Bible. This sola scriptura, right? The Bible is God's inerrant an infallible word in which he reveals his law and his gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul is saying here. This other stuff, and we see this all the time today, right? This is, this is what our world consists of, all this other stuff, insisting other things that we do outside of what our Lord gives us in the Bible. Unfortunately, we see it in other denominations and religions. and We've talked about that and know, know about that. Questions on that? Okay. Moving on then to 2.19. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So then this is the opposite here about people disqualifying with these other things. He's bringing us back to you hold fast to the head, okay? So in criticizing the heresy, Paul characterizes the false teachers as not only having a desire for a false worship, this false worship of angels, 
but also really failing to hold Christ as the head of heavenly power. And that's what Paul is saying when he says not holding fast to the head. Remember, we've talked about Christ the head many times through Colossians here. Uh, Paul further notes that from Christ, the church actually grows stronger and more secure in this relationship of faith. That when he says, from whom the whole body, remember we talked about the body, the body's the church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So I think this is interesting. Paul uses this comparison of a physical body to show that those are, who are united to Christ, like a body to its head, we know that analogy, Christ and the church, they're alive, nurtured, and united in Christ. And then our growth, the church, is in, is in him, and because that's all truly from God. So that's what that verse is saying here. Stuff. Okay. Move on here, verse 20. We're going to see terms that we've heard before in the letter. Paul repeats over and over. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Okay? So if you died, remember we've talked about this before, through their death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. This all is baptismal language, which we've talked about many times. So it's in their baptism, then, that the Colossians should be released from these, the influence of these false teachers. And that's why Paul then says, you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Elemental spirits of the world, we talked about that before. These are the man-made um, regulations that we've talked about. So then Paul says... Why do you submit to these regulations? So being no longer under the influence of the powers of the world, baptized believers really have no obligation to submit to the powers of these man-made regulations. Okay? So Paul's question points out the absurdity of submitting to regulations that belong to a manner of life that comes from man as opposed to what God is telling us here. Questions on that? Okay. Furthermore, he moves on here, verse 21 to 22. I'm going to read these both together because they're um, kind of... Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching teaching so apparently uh, the heretics were saying something about don't handle don't taste don't touch all these don'ts right uh, regulations what do they mean we don't act- actually know but when it says ref- do not taste do not handle do not touch referring to things that all perish as they're used commentators obviously think that this is food and drink okay so there's these regulations regarding food and drink but so we can, what we can surmise then with this language is that the heretics were advocating that somehow these Christians could be hurt based on what they touched or handled or tasted. And this could be some, some sort of pagan superstition. Of course, we see this all throughout Old Testament on the dietary restrictions and regulations. But uh, Paul is addressing this here. Um, 
human precepts, but he says these are all according to human precepts and teachings. So he points out that all this stuff that's going on with the food and touching and stuff, that's all um, decrees of man. Man means man-made regulations for righteousness. Okay? Questions on that? I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Verse 23 then. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Although Paul admits possibly these false teachings can have an appearance of wisdom, why are they no value to the Colossians? And Paul is really saying here that there's no effort of humanity no matter how noble it is, it seems, or how disciplined in good things, is really able to stop sinful nature. And that's what his point is. So this, the Colossian heresy may have seen wise in bringing a halt to any indulgences of the flesh through this ascetic lifestyle or abstinence and practices. But, you know, really... Paul says this really did nothing to curb and control actual sin in the lives of its inheritance. Adheritance. In fact, because the false teachers were seeking to be right by their own efforts, they were actually departing from the only means of being righteous on earth. The forgiveness of sins, which is received by faith on account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So any teaching that leads one away from the free gift of salvation in Christ is, to say the least, no value. Okay? So Paul's really here shooting down everything that the Colossians are doing. You can repeat that. Yeah, that's good. Right. That's good. Yeah. He's saying if they had their liturgy, maybe things would have been different. That's right. If they had the Lutheran service book, this wouldn't have been so bad. <laughs> Just okay. So that pretty much uh, takes us through then um, what true freedom is. Okay. So now we'll, we'll move on here to the, the next. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. All right, I got it going up here, but um, where it says uh, according to human precepts and teachings. So if that was like Pythagoreans, you know, saying you have to be a vegetarian, I understand that. But if it's in reference to the Jews, the Hebrews, and the law that was was it not given to them to Moses from God Himself? This is, I mean. All through Jesus' life, he's given a hard time about things that he's doing on the Sabbath. But then, he's doesn't isn't isn't his response? Well, I'm not. I'm a man, but I'm not. I'm God, so it's not. I'm a man and I'm God. I'm the Son of God, so this doesn't really apply to me. But I don't know. Is he saying then it doesn't apply therefore to to all men? Uh, what what apply? I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's not the best example. It's just um, 
You mean all the cer- are you just referring to the ceremonial laws? Yeah, right. The three yeah, the three categories. Yeah. So ev- everything that's not in the moral law. Um, those are laws given to by God, right? So that's just one that seems like I don't know. It's it's not it's definitely not according to human precepts and teachings if it's given by God. So then the issue of it being finished or completed in Christ is seems like a different issue than saying, oh, you don't need to do that because that's a human law. Hmm. You know what I mean? A little hard time following, but... Yeah, because it's confused. I'm, not, I, I'm confused, and I don't know how to say okay. I'm confused in a clear well, I way. Think, I think what's going on in Colossians is... is it's kind of what we looked at that you know these these Gnostics or whatever are taking things even way farther than the original Old Testament stuff. So I think that's kind of what Paul's doing. But clearly, though, I think that that now that Christ has come and when He died on the cross, that all the ceremonial stuff that God had set in the Old Testament were completed through Jesus, and then we we now don't follow those old ceremonial laws. I mean, that, I just, is that what kind of your beef is? Or, or? Bob, I, I can't quote it off, but it's, it's many times over the New Testament. Yeah, let me go back to my PowerPoint. Yeah, I think one thing that's super interesting today and has been for almost, well, it's 2,000 years now, is the temple was torn down and destroyed at 70 A.D. Therefore, they can't do any of their ceremonial crazy stuff. Uh, And uh, Excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. But, I mean, they don't have an option. So we we don't have an option either because the temple's torn down. Crystal, I, I can find multiple Bible passages that where the, all those ceremonial laws are not applicable today in, in our New Testament time. Yeah. And I think also what's going on here, these, when, it, when, when you, you quoted that language about um, according to human precepts and teaching, I think these are thing, further things that, you know, that's kind of my sermon this morning. It's about our Lord's doctrine versus... Uh, tradition of man, right? That's, that's another aspect of looking at that. So anything uh, comes in a tradition or any of the other stuff that's, you know, thinks that it's, says it's over and above God's word, obviously that's wrong. So, Hold on real quick, hold on real quick. <laughs> Jesus healed on the Sabbath and the Pharisees all came down on him. And he said, he, he, on the Sabbath, and not supposed to do any work on Sabbath, but being God, he's the one that created the Sabbath, so he fulfilled the Sabbath, so he right. could do it, right. right? Is that something that is right? Right, mm-hmm. okay. sure, right. That's what I was trying to say before, is that that's clear. It doesn't apply to him, but then did Jesus then say that it doesn't apply to anyone? That, you mean the Sabbath or just all ceremonial laws? Well, let's take the Sabbath as one. 
ceremonial law. Yeah. I think that that's all ceremonial law that was done away with on Christ. Didn't Jesus say on the cross, it is finished? Well, that Meaning, too, yeah. It is all finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking your comment is, does it apply to us? And the thing is, Jesus answered that from what I gather when they're going through the field and eating the grain. They're, they're plucking the heads of wheat, and Jesus, the Pharisees are telling them, hey, you're working on the Sabbath. Your disciples are working. And he answers that question and says no. And in fact, he even refers to that back to the law. Because he says no, they're not breaking the law. So Jesus did answer that question. They just refused to listen. That's their problem. And I got that. So I hope that. But I, we can meet afterwards and go through. I know there's, the ceremonial law has clearly been... It's no more longer applicable to us. Otherwise, if it was, since we're so, we we wouldn't be eating pork. We wouldn't be doing else today, right? You need to wash your hands, Chris, before you eat, right? <laughs> That's, if that were true, we'd be, we'd be the church would be following, but we're not following any of those ceremonial laws. Okay? We're not mandated to rest on the Sabbath, as I talked about, and as the the small catechism uh, talks about. So, Ellie, yeah. But isn't there a remnant of this in our culture within the Catholic Church? There are expectations put on the citizens that worship there. Some are in my family, and it creates quite a debate. And it also created quite the debate 500 years ago with the Reformation. Yeah, that's exactly what the Reformation pretty much was about, right? It was a man-made tradition that was being put over God's word, which um, our Lord tells us you know, over and over in the Bible that you know, that's wrong. So, I was just going to add that it seems to me that in human nature, it's, it's built into us that we work for something. We need to do something in order to accomplish a goal. You need to study in order to get an A. You need to, you know, to build something. You need to put time into it. And, uh, human nature in our humanism and, and in our old man, we probably tend to go in that direction. And when God offers the free gift, we go back to our old and Pastor may have did, uh, I think his address this remain and may have before, but you know, this cons that is what the way our world, everything that we do is based, you know, everything we do in society then is judged, valued. You're valued on your performance, and that's almost everything we do, right? So I don't know. Maybe that's why some of these big box churches that really push that, why it people grow to it you come to it because they think that you know well I've done this so then I should be able to do that you know I I don't know but yeah it's ingrained in us and that you know it could be a problem for some because our teaching what our Lord's doctrine is is just very even though it's hard to comprehend it's very simple that it's nothing you do it's a free gift and maybe society today just can't um, understand that concept 
Although I think it may go uh, further than that today. I don't just, people don't care one way or another. But Follow up on that? Looks like I'm giving the sign. That okay. Well, thank you guys very much. I appreciate the questions, and uh, the Lord be with you.